So we're drawing, we're drawing to the end of the book of Philippians. This is the last sermon on this, um, on this journey uh, that we've been taking. And um, so it's a big day. Um, we started about two years ago, and uh, the Lord has been faithful, and we are still here uh, preaching the gospel and still in the book of Philippians. Uh, so I pray that, um, that we can have a, a good time as we close out the book. And um, let us go to God, God in prayer, and then um, uh, we'll dive in and start looking at the text. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this Lord's Day. We thank you, God, for your goodness, for your grace. God, we thank you for your, the, just the freedom that we have to be able to open up the text of Scripture and expound the Word of God and to hear your voice. Lord, we ask you that you meet us here today, God. Wherever my brothers and sisters are, God, we've come to meet God. We've come to meet with you, Lord. And as we set time apart, God, to hear your word, to hear what you have to say to us, I pray that our hearts be fertile soil. I pray that the word will fall where it needs to fall, God. And I pray that it'll reap much fruit. And uh, I pray that my brothers and sisters will grow in grace and truth. And uh, our lives will be more Christ-like because of you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, like I said, chapter 4, and um, finishing it off. So I'm going to pick up from, from the verses, um, from verse 20, and, uh, uh, and finish it off. And it starts like this. It says, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and greet the brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So as we finish this off, these are going to be concluding remarks for the whole, for the whole book. Uh, I'm going to do the best that I can to sum up what we've been looking at. So this will be a concluding remarks and a survey of what we've been seeing. And, um, you know, as we come to our conclusion, the literal last uh, teaching of this book... Uh, of the letter um, of Paul to the Philippians. You know, for the past two years, we have taken this journey to examine, uh, to unfold. And uh, the running themes that we saw closely as we were looking at this throughout, uh, our, throughout our journey were encouragement, it was joy, it was the gospel, a life in Christ, uh, commitment to one another, Christ as our example, a model for genuine Christianity, and lastly, we saw the Christian contentment. You know, in a traditional outline uh, that we made note of to help us navigate and better understand each chapter, which are only four, it was joy and suffering, which was chapter one, uh, joy in serving, chapter two, uh, joy in believing, chapter three, and joy in giving in chapter four. And this was Paul's most personal letter um, this uh, to the church. He labored hard here, and uh, and and we see this uh, this endearment, this affection uh, with the brothers and sisters in the church of Philippi, and he was uh, joyful in the perseverance of their faith and in advancing the gospel and bringing glory to God. So there was a lot of joy in Paul's heart, even though he was in a Roman prison, even though the circumstances were not well, even though um, we would think that that's the worst possible scenario. But in God's eyes, he works out all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so he was joyful that the gospel was advancing and progressing and that people were coming to know Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen, he concludes. 
You know, at the end of the day, you know, may this be in our hearts that he receives all the glory forevermore. That at the end of everything we do, that he receives all the honor and all the glory. Not Paul, not a teacher, not a denomination, but the God of glory, that he receives everything. You know, as we are experiencing uh, uh, joy in our Christian walk, you know, he will get all the glory. As we're faithful to him, he will receive all the glory. You know, we have covered as much as time has allotted us um, and should... Um, and we should be much better equipped uh, to encounter different circumstances, different trials, uh, different seasons of life by the examples of Scripture. You know, as we close out, I thought, like I said, it would be good to give. So, uh, I'm going I'm to go through this, so follow close. So in chapter 1, we opened with Paul's words of gratitude. Uh, we, you know, we saw the confidence that he had within God and the, that God would perfect the work that he had begun all the way to the end. This is not the work that Paul began. This is the work that God began. It's not what you start. It's what God has started already through you. And that was the key point there. That it's not really Paul's ministry. But it is the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That has been given over in the administration of Paul's hands. But what God starts, God will finish. And when God is in it, it's the best time to be in him. You know, he had begun, and God would fulfill this. You know, not, like I said, not because it had Paul's signature, Paul's seal, but because this was the will of God, and the favor of God was upon the church. You know, the, the, Paul turns, then Paul turns to his personal experiences in chapter 1, and to the furtherance of the gospel. You know, that he was in a Roman prison, and yet the gospel was advancing there. You know, he, he reassures his imprisonment was for the cause of the gospel. He wasn't in prison for some sort of, um, for, for a sin that he was committing or, or for uh, being a, um, a, a troublemaker. No, he was, he was in, in prison for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save souls, you know, and give meaning to life. You know, Paul was focused on things of life that sometimes tend to consume us. He was focused upon the weightier things, the eternal things, the things that have consequences not only now, but in the next life. You know, that's why he says, for to me, to live is Christ. And, you know, and to die is gain. You know, this one verse, you know, in my opinion, could sum up Paul's heart. You know, that for him, it was all about Christ, whether he be alive or whether he be dead, his life belonged to Christ. And in similar words, he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to the Corinthians, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether here or whether absent, to be pleasing to him. That all our lives ought to be this pleasing aroma to Christ Jesus. You know, no matter what happens, it's only gain for us. You know, at the, you know, whether these momentary pain, affliction, trials, letdowns, backstabbing, whatever you want to put, you know, it cannot compare to what he has prepared for those who love him. Eternal, this eternal glory being with him. You know, Paul mentions the gospel, you know, about nine times in this letter, at least nine times, you know, uh, pressing the importance 
of what matters, of the weightier things. You know, in 1.5, he puts the fellowship of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 7, the confirmation of the gospel. 1.12, the progress of the gospel. 1.16, the defense of the gospel. 1.27, being worthy of the gospel. 1.27, also striving for the faith of the gospel. 2.22, service in the gospel. And chapter 4, verse 3, Labor in the gospel or four fifteen, the beginning of the gospel. So we can see that Paul was trying to drive a point into the Philippians that it's the gospel that matters. It's the gospel that ought to shape our lives. It's the gospel that ought to be the message that we are proclaiming in word and deed. You know, it's clear that Paul wanted this point to be made and, and be sunk into the hearts of the Philippians. You know, the only way to uh, meaningful, meaningfully impact society or the world, the community, the nation that we live in is having a message that goes beyond us. You know, if we're going to impact anybody, this society, the nation, uh, your community, you need something that goes beyond the me, myself, and I. You need God in that message, and that is the good news of the gospel. This gospel unites us all. It doesn't matter what ethnicity. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter economic status. It doesn't. It does, nothing matters. What matters is Jesus Christ, and this is the uniting force that connects us and that gives us a better mind frame to deal with all the evils of life. For the day, that, you know, we have to understand this. The days are evil, and we have to take advantage of the time that God has allotted us. The time that He has permitted us to be here so we can go ahead and project this gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, we spend some time in Christian unity. You know, and we'll notice that in Paul's letters, if you read through the New Testament, which he is primarily the author of the, the majority of the New Testament, you're going to see that Christian unity is not a trivial thing. Christian unity is an extremely important thing. And, and it's, he's very clear about it, that we must not break unity in, in our community of faith for, uh, for various reasons. Christian unity ought to be very important in our, in our lives. You know, and as uh, Paul appeals to seeing the saints coming together, you know, being of the same mind, he says, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose is essential for all of us. You know, the, the more we divide, the more the enemy advances. The more that we divide as a body of Christ, the more the enemy advantage. So we have to be very cautious of that, very careful that we, we are not being divisive in our Christian community, that we are connecting because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, for this to happen, there has to be something called humility. There has to be something called service to one another. You know, the, the doing things his way, not our way. You know, following the example of Christ is the only way we're going to be able to unfold true Christian unity. You know, Paul then goes to the ultimate example to make his point even more clear. The example of Christ. You know, in, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, look, you, you, I want to go beyond the, 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 right, the, the earthly stuff. I want you to look beyond yourselves. Look to the example of Christ. Have that attitude. Have that mind frame. So that way you can live lives that are worthy of the gospel and not centered upon your opinions, yourself. 
but they're centered upon the gospel. You know, in, in, in verses 6 to 11, in chapter 2, we see the hymn to Christ as God. And we spent a while there. You know, this is called the Carmen Christi. You know, in a small section uh, of Scripture, there's so much Christology here. You know, we saw the pre-existence of Christ, eternality. We saw the incarnation of Christ. This has to do with the hypostatic union. The God-man, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. The God-man came to us. You know, we saw the exaltation of Christ. You know, this is deity, that Jesus is God. You know, that he was exalted above every name, that at his name every knee will bow. And there is no other higher name than that of Christ Jesus. And so we saw this unfold as Paul was explaining to the church. This is the example. The incarnate God came to us. The pre-existent God made himself known to us. If he did that, how much more ought you not to serve one another? Then he explained the exaltation of Christ. How he was not just man but he was the God man and this explains deity that Jesus is God and Paul lays out a masterpiece example like I said of this God man to show this the, uh, of obedience of humility for Christian unity you know unity cross holiness this is a cadence in the Christian life there has to be unity but in order for there to be true unity we got to have an example we have to have a model we have to have something more than the picture of mankind and that's the cross that's the god man so we can have the ultimate example not only that we have to live this out and that's holiness so we so all this unfold we were unfolding this in chapter 2 Christian unity, you know, in, in, in his spirit, you know, it's much more than denominational. Much more than personal preferences. Much more than ideologies. You know, we are a band of brothers, you know, and sisters. You know, and may, may this reality, you know, may, may we never forsake the love of the saints. May we never break fellowship, you know, for ideologies. May we persevere under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember this, that without love, we are nothing. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much you do. It doesn't matter. It's just noise at the end of the day. It's just a waste of effort. Without love, we are nothing. And that is, was true then, and that is true now, and that will be true into the day of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul then gives us... and Epaphroditus, the warriors. These were true warriors, true friends. You know, and Paul shows the, 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 the side of that. You know, he was also like one of us. He also needed these friends, these companions. You know, and these were, the, Timothy and Epaphroditus, we saw that were faithful men to God. They were loyal to the brotherhood. Uh, brothers who were genuinely concerned for his welfare. Not just by word, but actually by deed. You know, they were fellow workers. They were not spectators. They were fellow soldiers. They were not cheerleaders. They were friends and brothers in Christ Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, Paul was an ordinary man like you and me. He was an ordinary man used in extraordinary ways because he allowed himself to be used by God. Chosen instrument 
a part for great things such as he has done for us. But if we allow him to use us, then he can use us. If we don't allow him to use us, well, then don't expect to be used. You know, and so God, surra God surrounded the Apostle Paul with genuine friends. And like I've told you before, if you have one or two friends in this life, consider yourself blessed. You know, you know, I know that your Facebook may say a 200, but in reality, you probably have two. You know, and so, but that's a different story for a different day. And even if our earthly friends were to, were to fade away, which at times they will fail us, you know, as we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend. At the end of the day, Jesus is our brother. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is the one we're going to go to. You know, in chapter 3, we saw closely, you know, Paul's personal resume. You know, he lays it out. He says, don't rely upon the flesh. It can boast in the flesh. List of his accolades, list of, of who he was, uh, you know, and reasons to boast of uh, personal accomplishments. But he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. He counted all things rubbish trash as dung for the sake of gaining Christ he says and to be found in him in other words Paul was saying look yes I accomplished a whole lot of things yes I am a, you know I am a Hebrew of Hebrews I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees yes I was taught under Gamaliel yes I have a lot of accolades I have my my wall is filled with all kinds of diplomas and and PhDs and doctors and all that yes but all that is trash compared to the gaining Christ and knowing him and so we saw, you know, the, the value system of the Christian. You know, what do we value? You know, what are we treasuring? And, we, you know, I challenge you to think of this. Because when we come to Christ, when, we, when we're born again, uh, when we are disciples of Jesus, our value the things that we used to value or treasure those things as much as the things of Christ. You know, Paul made it clear to the church that he had not yet arrived. You know, there was still more. He says, but I press on. You know, in this side of heaven, we will all have to press on. We will all have to continue pressing on. And not to think that we have arrived. None of us have arrived. You know, we are all in the process of arriving. You know, this is not the final destination. Don't get so comfortable. You know, this is not our home. You know, he's preparing a better place for us. You know, we must keep to his standard all the way to the end. And learn in following the examples that are worthy of imitating. In this life, there are examples that are worthy of imitating. And there are examples that are not worthy of imitating. And so we have to be very discerning on this. And imitate those that are worthy of it. You know, we all must watch the pattern of life that we follow. All of us. We have to keep to the standard of scripture. The pattern that you follow in this life will matter much. That's why whatever you believe will, will, will play out in the way you live. When you see somebody living a certain way, acting a certain way, is because they believe certain things. And so we have to be very conscious of that, that the, what we believe will play out in our lives. You know, and we must, we must watch this in our lives. You know, he, he, he says that, you know, I often told you and now tell you even we enemies of the Christ of Christ from this there was some who changed the standard you know to better fit society to be better liked 
There were some who, who said, you know what, maybe, maybe it's not all truth. Maybe, maybe only half of the Bible. You know, some start treating the Bible like a trail mix, you know, and, and, and start dissecting it. And just to be better liked, to be better accepted, uh, to be put on the Christmas list of certain people, uh, to be invited to certain places, uh, to not be looked down upon as a radical Christian. That is not the Christian standard. We ought to continue and stick to the truth. How politically correct or not is irrelevant. We have to stick to the standard of Scripture. God gave us a standard, and we cannot put God on the sidelines just to be liked in this world. You know, he says that these are the people whose end is destruction in chapter 3, who set their minds, right? He gives a description just to make sure you understand. Those who are on the path of destruction have their minds set on earthly things where their God is their appetite. You know, so we, we, he gives us the description says to be careful of this. If your appetite, if your hunger, if what you desire is nothing of God, well, that's not the path you should be on. You know, you come to your senses and know that the, the wages of sin is death. You know, sin does not pay well. It may taste good for a minute, but it don't pay well. You know, it, it, may, it, may, it may seem good for a minute, but then it becomes gravel in your mouth. So we have to be very careful with this. You know, we got to press on. Don't get tired, brothers and sisters, of doing what is right. We cannot. We cannot get tired of doing what is right. You know, in due season, we will reap if we do not grow weary. You know, in chapter 4, you know, when we were closing now, you know, we saw how Paul appeals to firm in the Lord. Not in yourself, not in your accomplishments, not in your last name, not in anything else, but in the Lord. Because every other ground, like I've told you many times, is building sandcastles in the sand. And it will be washed away. It may look pretty for a little bit. It may draw the attention of people for a little bit. It may even get some pictures for a little bit. But it is not going to last. When the waves come, that will be destroyed. We need to build upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And that is to stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we need to be steadfast, not inactive. You know, but trusting him, you know, as we live a life of total obedience. You know, this call to stand firm is something we as Christians ought to take serious. We have to take this serious. Again, this is not a trivial matter. We have to stand firm in this. Because if not, we're going to be tossed to and fro with the things of life, with, with situations, when things don't uh, turn out well. You know, if you want to have a solid ground in Christ, then it's going to be something else that can be destroyed with the storms of life. And so we need to be very cautious of that. You know, as the world changes, people change. Our own minds change. So we need to stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm upon the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. The exaltation of Christ. The preexistence of Christ. The glorification of Christ. The person, the work, everything of Jesus Christ. You know, soon after, you know, he mentions this statement. To rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, as we stand firm... Our attitude, our Christian attitude, stand firm grumbling and complaining. You know, stand firm, you know, bickering about things that are not going your way. No, stand firm and rejoice in the Lord. 
even when others are preaching the gospel, you know, for sordid gain, even when others are doing things that they shouldn't do, yes, that is wrong, and they will receive judgment for that, and we ought to pray. But he says, stand firm and rejoice in the Lord, for the name of Jesus shall be proclaimed. You know, because he is a good God, and he will not forsake us, and he will always be present to help his children. You know, we address the topic of worry in chapter 4. We spent a little bit of time there. You know, that doubt and anxiety, you know, draws away from God. And he, and he, that's why he continuously says, come to me, come to me. There's an invitation to not just know of God, but to actually experience God, to be with him. And God's word leads us to prayer and laying everything at his sovereign hands. Rejoicing and trusting are tied together. We're not going to be able to rejoice at all times if we're not trusting at all times. We're not. We're just simply not. We're, we're you know, if, if the, the, the troubles of life, the, 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 the economic problems, the social problems, the family problems, and you can add all the other problems, you know, will cause anxiety. It will cause worry. It will cause doubt. If we are not trusting upon Jesus Christ, the Christian ought not to ignore the problems of life, but we should not live in the problems of life. They should not be our life. We should not saturate our minds with CNN or any other uh, media that you listen to. We should saturate our minds with the Word of God. We should saturate our mind with what is true, honorable, pure, lovely. These are the things that we ought to dwell upon, not spend all our time dwelling upon the problems of the world or the opinions of, who, of, of so-and-so. We ought to worry about the opinion of God. We ought to worry about the eternal status of people, not just right now. The right now will end very soon. We have to understand this, that, you know, we are here today and tomorrow we're not. We're, it, our life is like vapor. You know, our life is like mist. Our life is like the grass. As scripture explains different metaphors to make it clear that make sure to, like the psalmist says, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us, Lord, because we are not eternal on this world. You know, one day, you know, we will be gone. One day we'll be forgotten. You know, one day, you know, we will not be here physically. So we need to take advantage of this and of this, of this time and rejoice in him, trust him, and live a life that is worthy of him. You know, to worry adds nothing in life. Every ounce of worry that you spend adds nothing to the solution of it. You know, it just brings heart. You know, doubt only pushes us, like I said, away from God. You know, anxiety will only take over your mind, uh, your life, because you don't fully trust God. You know, and so as Jesus said, you know, I tell you again, you know, we need to come to Jesus. You know, if you are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus. You know, come and find him and you will find true rest. You know, it's only the peace of God that can guard the hearts and minds in Christ Jesus of man. Only the peace of God. You gotta, you, you, we have to understand in this world there will be all kinds of stuff. But it's the peace of God that surpasses all knowledge, all understanding. It's, it's what guards the Christian mind. It's what guards the Christian heart. You know, then Paul addresses the saints, you know, about Christian contentment. And we spent some time there a few weeks ago. You know, how it is God who provides. How he can use ordinary folks like you and me, to bless others. But it is God who ultimately is a provider. It is God who makes it rain. It is God who brings the blessing. 
You know, it, it is him. Everything comes from him. You know, Paul had learned to be did not allow the storms of life, the necessities of life, uh, you know, to, to, or, the, or the dangerous winds of life, to allow him to lose his grip upon his Christian contentment. He had found what is called the rare jewel. He had found true joy. Being in a Roman prison, like I said, remember the context, okay? He's not writing from a sweet drinking tea, you know, with his feet kicked up, you know, in a lazy boy. He's in a Roman cell, rat infested, poorly clothed, poorly fed, whatever worst condition you can think of, you know, that's what he was in. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. You know, and then he get, yet he's the one, uh, you know, encouraging those who are outside and who are free. Because this do whatever you want. It's really knowing the secret of life. There's so many people who are free and who are enslaved to things, stuff, materials, enslaved to the things of this world, and they're never truly free. And so this is why Christian contentment allows us to experience God, not just uh, to, to release us of the, of, the, of the wants of life, but also experience just having joy in Christ, learning the secret of being filled and going hungry, as he said. You know, both of having abundance and suffering need is truly a rare jewel, you know, and will allow us to proclaim him who strengthens me. And like I made it clear, it is not the I can do all things that you ought to be highlighting and you ought to be so excited about. It's really that it is through him who strengthens me. It is really through Christ that we ought to be lifting up. It is not really that I can do all things. Yes, God will give us the strength, but the important part of the text is not I, it is him. And so God will supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You know, may we know this Christ, may we know this Christ, you know, the Christ of glory, you know, who will help us persevere and advance the gospel through the good times and the not so good times. You know, only the Christ of glory can give you joy in suffering, joy in serving, joy in believing, and joy in giving. You know, let me conclude with this. The only way is exclusively through Jesus Christ. This is the only way. It is the exclusive way of Christ. He's inclusive in the invitation, but the method, but the means is exclusive. It is Christ Jesus. It, 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 it is that only through Jesus Christ can one see the Father. That, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It is to him, the God-man, the, the one that was given the name above every name. This path, this entrance, he is the way, he is the door, he is the light, he is everything. It has been exclusively given to him. And he's inclusive in the invitation. And so we must, we must pursue that God, the Christ of glory. You know, so that we may be consistently, constantly fixing our eyes on Jesus and nothing else. Fix your gaze on Jesus. Let the world do what it does. You fix your eyes upon Jesus. Be a follower of Christ, you know, the, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, it says, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
That's the Christ of glory that we need to set our mind upon. You know, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us on his, in the beloved. Let me tell you again. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which Christ Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. And I pray that as, as, as we unfolded the text of the book of Philippians, that our lives be challenged, be encouraged, uh, be convicted. Uh, I pray that our hearts be transformed. I pray that there'll be a, a, a sense of repentance in our lives. I pray that our, our mind will be aware of the urgency uh, to be in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be in the text of scripture. And um, so let me end with prayer. And um, Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this Lord's Day, thanking you, God, for just the, the, uh, the ability, God, to come together and hear your word. And uh, Lord, I thank you, God, for the, the high privilege that we had to journey through the book of Philippians for these past two years and be able to understand your word and, and to see your glory, to see your person be exalted. Uh, Lord, I pray that you can guide us into all truth. And as our lives are challenged, encouraged, convicted, uh, that uplifted, I pray that you will help us. I pray that each and every one of us will examine our walk carefully with you and that we will be more faithful and more sincere in our in our christian dealing god in 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 our worldview and in, in everything and we pray this in christ's name amen so let me just let you guys know um we will be um uh we will be